0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. The podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 303, entitled, Are the Opponents of 1 John Corinthians?" Yes, you heard that correctly. We're asking about the identity of the Sorinthians, which should not be confused with the Corinthians, those people who lived and resided in the city of Corinth. Today we're talking about the followers of a famous first century person named Sorinthus, And so his followers are going to be called Sorinthians. I know it sounds a little different and certainly every time that I typed out the word sorinthians My autocorrect said, didn't you mean to write Corinthians? And I had to say, no, please add this word to the dictionary. So this week's episode, we're going to look at the interpretation of sorinthian opponents as the identity of those who have separated from the Johannon community as represented in first john this of course is coming on the heels of our last two episodes in which we looked at the possibility of the opponents of first john being potentially gnostics that was in episode 301 and of course last week in episode 302 we looked at whether the opponents could be docetist i made the argument. That those two suggestions don't actually line up quite well with the data that we have and so this is the next most popular scholarly option which is that they are followers of Sorenthus. Now the key thing you need to know about these believers is that Sorenthus actually did live in the second half of the first century CE and Sorenthus believed and taught that Jesus and the Christ are not two different ways of talking about the same historical person. No, Serenthus believed that Jesus was a distinct being and the Christ was a different distinct being. These are two different persons. And Serenthus taught that the Christ descended upon the human Jesus at his baptism, and subsequently the Christ departed from the human Jesus at the cross. And this particular Christology is called a separationist Christology, because the Christ separated from the human Jesus. So I'm going to begin this episode by detailing the arguments in favor of those who regard the opponents as followers of a Corinthian separatist Christology, And then I'm going to detail the arguments offered against this sort of identification by showing how scholars have tried to rebut the arguments. And in the end, I will, as I've done in the last two episodes, allow the listener to decide for themselves which side has made the better argument based on the data, the text of 1 John, and, of course, based on history. So... Were the opponents of First John believers in a Cerinthian separatist Christology? And was First John written to strengthen the faith of this community of Christians against the heresy that was taught by the figure named Cerinthus? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at arguments in favor of the theory of of Corinthian opponents in first john so again let's make sure that we are absolutely clear on our definitions before we move further it's very important whenever you're talking about a subject with someone else with a key term that you need to define those terms in ways that everyone can understand so what do i mean by a separationist christology well we have the figure Sorenthius, and he taught that Christ was an independent being who was divine, who was spiritual, and who literally pre-existed the human Jesus. Sorenthius also denied the virgin birth, and he taught that the human Jesus was born of Mary and Joseph. Now, at the baptism, the Christ was united with the human Jesus when the Christ descended from heaven in the form of a dove and thereby empowered the human Jesus for the duration of his ministry. But this actually makes Jesus, during his ministry, two separate persons. He is the human Jesus, but the Christ is not the same thing as Jesus. The Christ is a second divine being that has united himself with the human Jesus. However at the crucifixion the divine Christ abandoned and separated from the human Jesus on the cross and this allowed for Jesus to die a mortal's death. So Sorenthus would actually say that Jesus was not the Christ because Jesus and the Christ are two different persons based on his view. Now I should point out that there are some scholars that will describe Sorenthus and his followers as Gnostics or even Docetic Christians, and so I don't want to suggest that the Sorenthian separatist Christology is something completely distinct from Gnosticism, at least however you want to define that, or some sort of form of Docetic Christology. There are many scholars that actually look at what Sorenthus is saying, and they will put the label of Gnostic or Docetic upon his own theology. So I wanted to make sure to include that data as we begin our study. So what is the exegetical basis for arguing in favor of the opponents of 1 John being cerinthian separatist christologians so we could start with first john chapter 2 verse 22 which says who is the liar but the one who denies that jesus is the christ this is the antichrist the one who denies the father and the son that's first john chapter 2 verse 22 and that's going to be kind of a major passage that we're going to be thinking about and meditating on during this week's episode So here we have somebody that's denying that Jesus is the Christ. Well, that's exactly what Sorenthus did. He denied that Jesus is the Christ because he regarded them as two distinguished beings. Okay, so a lot of scholars look at Sorenthus, who actually did live and function as some sort of Christian minister during the second half of the first century. And they look at this passage and they say, that seems to fit pretty well. And I can see the logic in that. The next passage that gets trotted out is 1 John chapter 4, verses 2-3. through 3. This is a key linchpin passage when it comes to identifying the opponents in 1 John. We've seen this in our previous two episodes, and of course it's going to come out in this week's episode. So chapter 4, verse 2 says, By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. That's chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. So, since Sorenthus did not believe that Jesus is the Christ, this passage would function as a mere reading passage. The interpretation is that the author is saying that you should be confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh because some people are not confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Serenthus, of course, would say that Jesus has come in the flesh, but not Jesus Christ because Christ was a pre existent divine being that descended upon Jesus at his birth but at his baptism in chapter 5 verse 1 it says that whoever believes that jesus is the christ is born of god chapter 5 verse 1 so there we would have the call to acknowledge and put your faith in the fact that jesus the human person is in fact the christ thereby equating those two in reference to a single person. And of course, Serenthus would not be able to say this. He doesn't think that Jesus is the Christ. He thinks that Jesus is the human person, and Christ is the divine being. And a few verses later, we have a very interesting reading of chapter 5, verse 6. So 1 John 5, 6 says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit that testifies because the Spirit is the truth. That is First John chapter 5, verse 6. So, for Sorentis, he would understand the reference of water here to be Jesus' baptism. And he would understand that the blood is in reference to Jesus' death. So, for Sorentis, He said that Christ came at the watery baptism, but he was not present for the bloody death. So the argument is that you have to read this passage as a mere reading, that is, trying to refute the Corinthian separationist Christology. The passage is saying that Jesus Christ is the one who came not with water only, but with water and the blood, emphasizing the water and the blood, interpreting the water in reference to the baptism, and the blood in reference to the death of Jesus. And this seems to be suggesting, according to this view, that Sorenthus could not argue that Jesus Christ came with the blood. He would argue that he was only there in light of the water. So those are the four major passages that get put out in order to make the suggestion that First John has some very specific opponents in mind, and those opponents are the followers of Cerinthus, those who carry the Cerinthian separationist Christology. Okay, so that's the exegetical basis. What about the testimony of ancient authors? What do ancient authors who tell us about the historical person Sarinthus have to say. Well, the oldest known document that mentions Cyrinthus is not a first century work, it's a second century work. It's a Coptic work called the Epistula Apostolorum, basically the epistle of the Apostles, and it was written sometime between 140 and 150 CE. We can date this pretty closely because of some of the internal things that are said in regard to the particular year that the author was writing in relation to the Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. And the Epistula Epistolorum names in particular Sorenthus and the figure Simon Magus. Simon Magus is famous from being in Acts chapter 8. And this document describes both of these figures as, quote, false apostles who lead men to destruction, end quote. So I'm curious, how do these two figures lead men to destruction? And chapter 1 verse 7 in this document says, that they lead men to destruction, quote, by distorting the word and the truth, end quote. So it seems that we have the epistula epistorum telling us that Sorenthus is someone who lived and overlapped with the life of Simon Magus, who is mentioned in Acts chapter 8, but it doesn't actually tell us any detail about what Sorenthus taught. They're just these vague statements of the fact that they are false apostles, they're leading people falsely, they distort the truth, they distort the word. But we do get the point that they are actual first century figures. So unlike the Gnostic theories, which has to draw upon various Gnostic persons from the 2nd century, and the Docetic theory that has to draw upon Docetic believers from the 2nd century, at least this particular theory is drawing on a particular person who did, in fact, live during the second half of the 1st century and during the writing of 1st John. So I think that is something that needs to be taken seriously. So we have that particular author. The most important author we're going to be looking at today is Irenaeus. Irenaeus. So in his massive document called Against Heresies, which is written around 180 CE, Irenaeus offers a lot of detail about Serenthus. Let me give you a lengthy quote right here. So in Against Heresies, book one, chapter 26, verse one, he says, quote, Serenthus, again, a man who was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians, taught that the world was not made by the primary God, but by certain power far separated from him, and at a distance from that principality who is supreme over the universe and ignorant of him who is above all. He represented Jesus as having not been born of a virgin, but as being the son of Joseph and Mary, according to the ordinary course of human generation, while he nevertheless was more righteous, more prudent, and wiser than other men. Moreover, after Jesus' baptism, the Christ descended upon him in the form of a dove from the supreme ruler, and that then... He proclaimed the unknown father, and he performed miracles. But at last, Christ departed from Jesus, and that then Jesus suffered and rose again, while the Christ remained impassable inasmuch as he was a spiritual being." End quote. So, we can see a lot of things that we've already discussed in our definition earlier. But you can see where are we getting our basic understanding of Serenthus and what he believed. We're getting it directly from Irenaeus. Now, Irenaeus also tells a very interesting story of an interaction between Serenthus and the Apostle John. So, Irenaeus says, and against heresies, Book 3, chapter 3, verse 4, that, quote, There also are those who heard from him that John, the disciple of the Lord, going to bathe at Ephesus and perceiving Serenthus within, rushed out of the bathhouse without bathing, saying, Let us flee, lest even the bathhouse fall down, because Serenthus, the enemy of truth, is within. End quote. So Irenaeus tells of the story of an interaction between the Apostle John and And So this indicates that Sorenthus is operating in Ephesus, at least at the time that the Apostle John is operating there. And the two of them did not get along. In fact, the Apostle John did not want to have anything to do. He didn't want to be in the same bathhouse as Sorenthus. So Sorenthus was not accepted by the inner circle of apostles, particularly the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee. Now Irenaeus also tells us that the Apostle John wrote his gospel in order to specifically refute the error of Cerinthian teachings. The Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John specifically in order to refute the teachings of Cyrenthus. Irenaeus says that in Against Heresies, book 3, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. So we get a lot of information from Irenaeus about Cyrenthus. We can locate when he lived, we can locate his location in Ephesus, and we get a sense as to why Irenaeus thinks that the Apostle John wrote his gospel. Now we do got to keep in mind that Irenaeus is writing in 180 CE. Nearly a hundred years after Sorentius was actually active in Ephesus, and that's a long time. Okay, so those are the arguments that are typically put in favor of the opponents of First John being separationist, believing in a separationist Christology as taught by Sorentius. Okay, this will move us to our second point. Point number two: arguments against the theory of Sorentian opponents in 1st John. So those scholars that are not convinced by this particular teaching will offer three rebuttals. So this is just me pointing out the arguments in both cases. So rebuttal number one against thinking that the opponents of 1st John are Cyrenthians would be that the testimony provided by our earliest witnesses of Cyrenthus are unreliable So the earliest source that we have, the Epistula Apostolorum, doesn't actually tell us anything about the beliefs of Sorenthus or his understanding of Christology. So our primary source is really just Irenaeus. We can only really look at him for reconstructing Sorenthus. In fact, we have some traditions later than Irenaeus from Hippolytus, but Hippolytus basically seems to be copying Irenaeus, and so he actually can't help us with anything new. So we're kind of stuck with Irenaeus as our earliest source. But when we read Irenaeus closely, it doesn't appear that Irenaeus actually possesses first-hand experience with Sorenthus. He's getting all his information second, third, and potentially fourth-hand. And remember, Irenaeus was writing around 100 years after Sorenthus was active in Ephesus. So let's look at some of the data. In Against Heresies, book 1, chapter 26, verse 1, Irenaeus says that Sorenthus taught that Jesus was the son of Joseph and Mary and that he was only possessed by the Christ at his baptism. However, a little bit later, in book 3, chapter 11, verse 1, Sorenthus were told by Irenaeus, taught that Jesus was the son of the creator and that Jesus was a second God. In fact, that Jesus was a demiurge. I don't know how you are able to harmonize those two sayings. And a little bit later in book three, chapter 16, verse one, Irenaeus says that Cerinthus taught that Jesus was the son and that the Christ was the father. And the Father of Christ was God. So now we have God, who actually is Christ, God the Father. And the Father is coming down at the baptism and uniting himself with Jesus. So that seems to be a different way of looking at these things. Still later, in Book 3, Chapter 16, Verse 5, Irenaeus says that our key passage 1st John chapter 2 verse 22 remember that those have to people have to confess that Jesus is the Christ Irenaeus says that this passage in 1st John and he quotes it he says this passage was specifically written to refute those who divide the Lord namely those that say that the Lord was formed of two substances So when I look at these individual sayings, I'm actually having a hard time harmonizing them and making sense of them as coming from someone who has a reliable testimony. How is it that the Christ is an independent being, but also the Christ is the Father, but also Jesus is a second God who is a demiurge? but also Jesus is the human son of Joseph. And this is all extremely confusing, and the statements seem to be conflicting. And I think what they do, and I think this argument holds up, is that the inconsistencies of the testimony offered by Irenaeus really cast doubt on the accuracy of how much Irenaeus is able to accurately convey the truths about the sort of things That Sorenthus was teaching a hundred years earlier than the time he was writing. So scholars are definitely pointing out those things and saying Irenaeus has some very inconsistent testimony. He seems to be hearing and reproducing a lot of different beliefs that don't seem to be able to be harmonized. Now Irenaeus also has some conflicting chronology that I'm not so sure can be harmonized. So here's an example. So in Book 3, Chapter 11, Verse 1 of Against Heresies, Irenaeus argues that the Apostle John wrote his gospel, the Gospel of John, to refute Cerinthus's doctrine of two gods. So the Gospel of John is specifically written to refute the teachings of Cerinthus. But later, in Book 3, Chapter 16, Verse 5, Irenaeus says that John wrote his gospel foreseeing the doctrine that would divide Jesus into two. So which one is it? Is John writing his gospel specifically to refute the doctrine that Cerinthus is actually teaching? Or is John writing his gospel because he foresees that something in the future is going to say, that Jesus is actually divided into two. In other words, is John writing about a current heresy that he's dealing with, or a heresy that's going to happen in the future? The chronology doesn't seem to add up. You can't have it both ways. And again, Irenaeus has come under criticism, rightly in my opinion, because he has conflicting chronologies here. So that's the first rebuttal, is that the testimony provided by Irenaeus, particularly, uh, seems to be unreliable. Rebuttal number two says that Irenaeus does, in fact, cite 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 to refute the separationist Christologies that are taking place in his own period, remember, in the late 2nd century CE. But he does not argue that this was the original purpose of 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, when it was written at the end of the first century. So you can read all about this in book 3, chapter 16, verse 5. So Irenaeus certainly seems to be aware of problems that are going on in his own time, and he says that you could use this passage to refute what's going on in his time, but he doesn't say that's what the passage was originally meant to refute. And so if the debate inside 1 John was really meant to combat the heresies of a second divine being called the Christ that actually descended upon Jesus and left him at his death, you would think that we would expect that there would be a much more thorough definition of the specific title, the Christ, in 1 John. Yet, when you read over 1 John, you don't see any argument at all, trying to shore up the definition of the title, the Christ. In fact, the author speaks of the title Christ in a way that all of his readers seemingly understand without any sort of need to define it. There's no need to clarify its meaning or to make sure everyone understands its significance. Stated differently, if 1 John does not rebuke a false understanding or heresy regarding the meaning of the christ then we would expect that it's probably not being written against the cerinthian separationist christology so the theory that for is writing against an understanding that sees jesus as two persons a divine christ and a human jesus doesn't seem to make any sort of effort at refuting that false understanding of what the Christ is. Furthermore, if First John was written against the Cerinthian heresies, why is the virgin birth not also reaffirmed? That seems to be a pretty big deal, and we know that Cyrenthus denied the virgin birth. We also know that Cyrenthus possessed a demiurgical dualism. Why is that not denounced? In a First John, again, the whole point is that if First John is actually written against Cerinthus, why doesn't it take the time to rebuke all of these teachings? If we are going to settle on the fact that First John was written against Cerinthus, we have to admit that it actually rebukes his heresies rather poorly. So that's the second rebuttal: is that the text of First John doesn't actually seem to specifically rebut the particulars of Sorenthus' heresies. Rebuttal number three is that the key text of First John really can be read in a much more natural way without these kind of forced mere readings that are kind of pushed upon them. So we talked about chapter 2 verse 22, which affirms that Jesus is the Christ, and this is likely against those who don't think that he is the Messiah. And this is, I think, the simplest and the easiest reading. It actually doesn't require a mere reading of the passage. So we don't have to assume that the affirmation of Jesus as the Christ is there to shore up against people that are saying that Jesus is one person and the Christ is a different person. Of course, we have chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, which discusses the traveling prophets that deny that Jesus the Messiah came at all, that he was actually physically there in the flesh. I think that's a much more likely reading of what's actually taking place. And the key point here is that when you read verse 3, verse 3 of 1 John chapter 4 specifically notes the denial of Jesus. It says, those who deny Jesus, or those who don't confess Jesus, they are the Antichrist. But Sorenthus didn't deny Jesus. He affirmed Jesus. So the passage doesn't actually, when you look at the closer details, rebut the sort of things that Sorenthus was actually saying. So it doesn't fit very well there. Now chapter 5, verse 6, really has to be kind of bent awkwardly in order to make the reading in a way that affirms Christ at the baptism and at his death, remember the water and the blood. And you have to kind of really read the Corinthian position kind of into the text in order to make sense of that. But I think a much easier reading that makes a lot more sense is to recognize that there is some sort of echo to the Gospel of John chapter 19, verse 34, where specifically the soldier pierced the recently deceased Jesus on the cross, and guess what? Both water and blood came out of him. And this, of course, would affirm the authenticity and legitimacy of the human Messiah's death. And so I think that's the reference to the water and the blood that affirms the genuineness of Jesus and his death. So this seems to be the easiest reading, and it doesn't require that we have to kind of abandon the the most common sense interpretation of this in order to read into it the cerinthian interpretation now the emphasis on several texts in the first john on jesus being the christ being the son of god this is exactly the sort of christological affirmation that was very common in early christianity we don't have to look at these texts that say Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus is the Son of God, as some sort of shoring up on the denials that Jesus and the Christ are actually the same person. I mean, the affirmation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is the specifically mentioned purpose statement in the Gospel of John, in chapter 20, verse 31. So it's not surprising that this particular truth is reaffirmed in 1 John. But if the primary opponents in the Gospel of John, as we can see they're called quote-unquote the Jews, if these Jews were denying that Jesus was the promised Jewish Messiah commissioned by the God of Israel, then we can make sense of the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. Yes, Jesus is indeed the Christ. Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And these affirmations were made apart from any hint of separationist Christology. So I'm not convinced that the Gospel of John, as Irenaeus tries to argue, was written to counter Cyrenthian heresies, and I'm also not convinced that 1 John was written to counter Cyrenthian heresies. I just don't think that the scholarly reconstruction best fits the evidence that we have. It seems to be a little forced, and seems to rely on the hearsay of someone living a hundred years after, who can't even get his testimony straight. He has differing opinions on the sort of things that Cerinthus taught about Jesus and about God, and he also has an inconsistent chronology in regard to the Gospel John in reference to the sort of things that Cerinthus taught. So, while a lot of scholars are convinced of the Cerinthusian separationist. Christology identity of the opponents of first John, I at least today am not convinced and I'm not persuaded. So what does this leave us? Could the opponents of first John be persons who are denying the significance of Jesus' humanity and the accomplishments that Jesus made as an actual human person is the humanity of Jesus the particular doctrine that's under attack? in 1 John, which actually calls for a response that rebukes these opponents. Please look forward to our next episode, where we're going to explore the pros and cons of the theory of the opponents in 1 John as those who devalue Jesus' humanity and his authentic human accomplishments. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God, and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support us absolutely for free by subscribing on YouTube or iTunes, by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to support the podcast, please check out the episode description for various ways to donate. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.